continuing our series, Enjoy, this morning, and we're going to talk about enjoying our differences or enjoying one another in spite of our differences. But I wanted to have a little bit of fun with you in the room and online this morning before we get started. And so I need to know if your arms are working. Are they working? Yeah? Are you sure? Can you raise a hand? All right, I feel you. Online, are your fingers working? Can you type in the chat box? Because you're important to us. You are a part of our community. We want to hear from you today too. So we're going to discover that we have some differences here in the room. Okay, so you have some choices. We're going to vote. Are you early, late, or an on-time kind of person? Are you ready? Where are my early friends? Okay. Where are my friends? You're just always late. Okay, they're not here yet. <laughs> How many of you are on time? Okay, I am on time, but if you talk to my husband who is an early person, he will tell you that I am always late. Okay, next one. I wanna know if you're an early morning or a late night person. Early bird, night owl. Early birds, where are you at? There you are. Where are my late night people? Okay, all right, there you are. Uh, what about introvert and extrovert? Now, we have to agree on a definition because how many of you know there are about 10 different definitions for how you decide whether you're an introvert or an extrovert? So here's my definition. Doesn't mean it's the right one, but it's the one we are going with because this is my illustration, okay? An introvert is someone who is energized when they have some quiet, some alone time. They don't have to be totally by themselves, but maybe with one or two people that they know well. That energizes them, it fills their tank. An extrovert is someone who gets energy from being around lots of people, doing the things, uh, like high energy, all the stuff. Where are my introverts? I'm surprised you're raising your hand right now, good job. Where are my extroverts? How many of you are gonna break the rules and you didn't vote because you're an ambivert? Yeah, I knew you were out there. Okay. We're gonna talk details or big picture. How many of you are all about the details? They matter, do not overlook them, give me all the details. Okay, a few of you. Where are my big picture people? You get bogged down by the details, don't talk to me about details. Yep, okay, I feel you. Online, I'm gonna come back and look at those comments. I got screenshots already this morning, they're fantastic, so be with us. All right, working with a team on a project to solve a problem, or you wanna handle this on your own, you wanna fly solo. Who's working with a team? Okay, who's flying solo? Okay, there we go, all right. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna get a little personal this morning. Are you a make the bed kind of person or a why bother kind of person? How many of you made your bed this morning? All right, how many of you are like, why bother? You're about to go take a nap. Yes. Okay, last one. We have rule followers or those who are gonna ask for forgiveness later. Where are my rule followers? There you are, I see you. And how many of you are gonna ask for forgiveness later? Awesome, okay. Here's what we need to know. How many of you are seated next to someone who answered the wrong way? <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. And how many of you today are aware of the fact that your way might be the wrong way? That you are in fact the one who is different and you have people in your life who have to make allowances for those differences. So these are some of the minor differences that sometimes we can have fun with. But if we reflect on our lives, on our families, on our workplaces, uh, I have high schoolers over there in the corner. How many of you have had to work on a group project at school with someone who is different than you? It's annoying, right? Yeah, it can create some tension. Adults, how many of you have had to do that in a job? You gotta work with somebody on a team and they're a detail person and you're a big picture person. That creates some tension. If you're married to somebody, they're different from you and guess what? There's been some tension. You might even be raising children who are different from you. These minor differences that we can have some fun with do cause some problems sometimes. They create some tension. They can even cause some anxiety in us. And yet I think that we can choose to enjoy what's different about one another. And we can choose to enjoy one another sometimes in spite of those differences. But what about the big stuff? What about the stuff that wasn't on the list that we just voted on? What about the stuff that you don't want to vote on in church? Because it's big. What about the different ways that we approach our lives? What about the different ways that we vote? What about the different ways that we care for our bodies? What about the different ways that we raise our children? What about the different ways that we relate to God, worship God, or the different ways that we interpret the scriptures? What about those differences? Those are big ones. Is it possible that even in the midst of those differences, we can enjoy one another? We can even enjoy those different perspectives, different opinions, different experiences. And when it gets too big, can we enjoy one another in spite of it? I think we can. And the reason that I've chosen to believe this is I have been on the experiential side of it. I have three mentors and friends who have been a part of my life for decades. There's three of them. They're very distinct in my mind. They've had tremendous influence over who I am as a person, over who I am as a friend, of how I show up as a parent and a wife and a leader. And they have accepted me and loved me and celebrated me even though I am quite different from them. We handled the pandemic differently. Sometimes we vote differently. We hold very similar values around our families, but we've chosen to raise our kids uniquely. Our theologies are quite diverse. And at the end of the day, if I were to point blank ask some of them if they think it's theologically okay for me to live out the calling that I sense on my life, I don't know that I'd like the answer. And yet, they love and accept and celebrate me and my family. I learn from them and they learn from me. 
They are a gift and continue to be a gift in my life. This absolutely can be done. And when it's done, we get to experience greater joy and a sense of well-being. We learn and we grow. It's really a beautiful thing. And so today, we're going to take a look at a story in the life of Jesus that I think highlights this and maybe gives us some ideas for how to live this out and what this looks like. You see, sometimes we enjoy our differences. Sometimes we choose to enjoy one another in spite of the differences. Now, I think I might be able to hear what some of you are thinking. And that is, you're thinking, Carissa, I already know how to handle differences. It's called distance. We just stay far apart. We just avoid each other. We don't sit around the table anymore. I stopped returning those phone calls a long time ago. And I hear you, and I'm not saying that there aren't relationships in our life where those kinds of boundaries need to happen. So part of your job today is gonna be with the Spirit of God to discern who in your life is God inviting you to enjoy them as they are to enjoy their different perspectives, personalities, opinions, and maybe even to enjoy them in spite of those. Now, as we look at this story of the life of Jesus, others of you may be thinking, Carissa, how do we even know that this story actually happened? If we're gonna learn from it, how do we know it happened? How do we know it happened like this? How do we know that Jesus said the things that it says he said? I think that's a great question. And while I don't have the whole day to help you understand why I believe that it really happened, I'm gonna tell you this. I think it's true and I believe it even though I can't play you a recording or press play on a high, de high, def high definition video because it's embarrassing. To a first century Jewish male, it's embarrassing. This is a story, this is a conversation that they want, would have wanted to hide. They would have wanted to bury. They would not have wanted this recorded for all of history. And yet here we are 2,000 years later and we have this conversation that's pretty embarrassing to this first century culture. And so where I go is why? Why was a first century male Jewish follower of Jesus willing to write something down that would have been culturally embarrassing? I don't think that he would have if it didn't actually happen. So we're gonna look at the story. We're gonna read the whole thing. It is the longest recorded conversation with Jesus that we have in the scriptures. So I want you to be in it with me. The story is gonna come alive. And my prayer is that you are going to notice something, maybe about Jesus, maybe about yourself, maybe about the woman in the story that you've never noticed before. So this is the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. We don't know her name, but I'm certain that she had one. It's recorded in John chapter four. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. And in verse four, it says to get there, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. 
He came to Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. And it was noon. Now I want you to picture this. Jesus already is doing what the culture would not expect of him. Most self-respecting Jewish rabbis would not travel through Samaria. They always went around Samaria. He sends his disciples on without him to get food and he sits down at the well in the middle of the day. It's hot, he's tired, he's thirsty, he's human. He understands that culturally, he is going to encounter someone that is very different from him. He is going to encounter someone that he is not supposed to speak to, sit with, spend time with. I don't know if Jesus knew that he would meet that specific woman at that specific time, or if he just knew that he would meet an individual. I'll let you figure that out. But this was intentional. I think this reminds us that Jesus often and consistently comes and intentionally sits down in the midst of our stuff. The places where we wanna hide, the places where we're embarrassed, the places of our deepest shame, the stuff that we don't want people to know about, you'll find him there, waiting. And here's what happens, a woman a Samaritan came to draw water and Jesus said to her, he initiates the conversation. He engages with her. He says, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples weren't there. They had gone to buy food for lunch at the village. And the Samaritan woman is surprised. She's taken back. She responds with a question and says, would you, uh, how come you? A Jew are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. You see, Jews in those days, the scripture tells us, wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Friends, every major difference that I can think about is represented here in the story. Jewish men to this day in Middle Eastern culture are not allowed to speak to their own wives in public. It was against the law for Jesus to speak to her. Men and women did not communicate in public. Jews did not spend time with Samaritans. So here we have an ethnic conflict, a difference. They despised one another. And Jesus intentionally goes right into the middle of the Samaritan village. We have lifestyle differences. We have a Jewish rabbi and teacher and a woman who scholars believe did not have the best reputation. That's why she was at the well in the middle of the day. You see, women would go to the well in the early hours of the morning together as a community before it got hot. And they would help one another take these heavy, big jars of water that had been filled and lift them up onto their heads. It's not an accident that this woman is there in the middle of the day. She is not welcome in her own community. She's an outsider. She's an outcast with her own people. 
for reasons that the scripture kind of allows us to imagine. Every major difference that you and I deal with is represented here in the story. And so as we continue, I wanna invite you to consider the story through the lens of the Samaritan woman. Oftentimes when we read these stories, we picture the story through the lens of Jesus because we're asking the question, how is Jesus calling us and inviting us to live this out? What do we say and do in order to live like Jesus? And that is good. If we look at the other perspective, I think there are some gifts in this for us to consider what it's like when we're the one who maybe is a little bit left out, who is a little bit different, who is in need of a moment and an encounter with Jesus. I want you to think about what she might have been thinking in this moment, what she might have been feeling in this moment, what she was tempted to do or what she expected Jesus to do in this moment. Jesus answers her. And he says, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink. And I would give you fresh living water. I imagine in this moment, she's thinking, wait a minute, I get to ask you for something? I get to ask you for what I need? How many of us have moments where we think we can't even express those deepest needs, those deepest desires, those deepest yearnings, because we're not sure how they will be met or responded to? Sometimes it just simply hurts too much to hope. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw the water with. This well is deep. So how are you gonna get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and their livestock and then passed it down to us? Jesus responds to her and he says, everyone who drinks this water, they're gonna get thirsty again and again. And anyone who drinks the water that I give will never thirst, not ever. The water that I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. Is the song that we just sang. Your forgiveness is like, honey on my lips, like holy water on my skin. You see, we are thirsty. We are a people that are looking to all kinds of things to satisfy this thirst that we have. And nothing is working. Just like this woman in the story, there were so many things that she was looking for that would satisfy and fulfill this thirst, this longing, this desire that she has in her life. You and I know what that's like. We might not turn to the same things that this woman turned to, but we have our stuff that we look to, that we're hoping eventually will satisfy, that we'll stop being thirsty. And Jesus says, I have what you need. And when you drink the water that I have for you, you will never thirst again. This is a metaphor that we wanna chew on 
a little bit. He's not saying here is physical, actual water that you drink one time and then you're done. He is saying what you receive from me when you ask and when you come unguarded and vulnerable and as your true and authentic self, it satisfies the thirst that you have inside of you in a way that nothing else can. And the woman responds as she says, sir, Will you give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again? And you know what I noticed here in this moment is this is when we see her express some of her embarrassment and her shame and her vulnerability. She's saying to him, if you actually have what I need and I don't have to come here anymore, where people see that I am not welcome and I have to come at a different time of the day and I have to keep doing things that I don't really wanna do in order to survive. If you're telling me that you have something that can help me not be thirsty anymore, sign me up. I'll take it. And he responds. And this week, I think I noticed something for the first time that is gonna stay with me for the rest of my life. Jesus says to her, when she asks for the water, he says, go, call your husband and then come back. She asks for living water and he speaks directly to the place of her deepest shame and embarrassment. those places inside of all of us where we're thinking and hoping no one will know, no one will find out. You know, those, those things that we have said either out loud or to ourselves. if they knew, they wouldn't be okay with me. If they knew, they would turn away. If they knew, they wouldn't want to be with me anymore. I think in this moment, Jesus wanted to make sure she knew that he knew and he wasn't turning away. That he saw all of her and accepted her and loved her and wanted to satisfy her deepest longings right where she was. I have no husband, she says. She takes a risk here. She owns the reality of her life and her story and her situation. Do not let this pass us by. Some of you are in the room and you know what a risk she just took to speak out loud the very thing you're afraid to say out loud. And she didn't say it, I don't think, loudly or forcefully. You see, when we allow ourselves to be seen in this way and we speak these things often for the first time, they come out soft, almost like everything in our body wants to keep it. It's usually a whisper, a barely audible thing that once it's spoken, we hope that they didn't actually hear it. She takes a risk and Jesus hears her. He says, that's nicely put that I have no husband. You, you've had five husbands and the man that you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. 
Jesus doesn't respond the way that she expects him to. He doesn't respond the way that Jewish law expects him to. He is supposed to stone her in this moment. But he doesn't. He simply sees her, sees the reality of her story and her circumstances, what's been done to her and her choices in response. He's with her in this space. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this, she says, our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Do you see what she does here? She changes the subject. You know what that's like when we get so uncomfortable with our own vulnerability that we deflect, we change the subject. She is a highly intelligent individual. She changes the conversation to theology. Believe me, woman, Jesus says, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. Your worship is guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. In fact, it has come when what you are called will not matter and where you worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way that you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Notice that Jesus says to her earlier, you spoke the truth here. And then he's affirming that those who live in truth, who show up authentically as their true selves, without all the masks, without all the things that make us feel good about ourselves, that we think are covering up all the stuff when we're truly and authentically ourselves before God. Jesus says that's who God is looking for. And it's not because those people are better than the other people. It's because when we show up as our true selves, when all the stuff is gone and we just own, this is my story, this is my pain, this is my shame, this is whatever it is, it opens up a space for us to drink the living water. This is a profound truth that Jesus is sharing with this woman in this moment, he is affirming her vulnerability, her authenticity, her truth. The woman says, I don't know about that. I can so relate to this. There's this moment where I go, really? This just kind of sounds too good to be true. And then you get a taste. I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming, she says. And when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. This is a pivotal moment where Jesus reveals to her, to this Samaritan woman, this outcast and outsider who is different from him in every imaginable way, his identity as Christ. 
his identity as the Messiah, that he is the great I am, the name for God that we're given in the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. Just then, his disciples come back. And how many of you have ever been in a situation before where you just know that you've walked into a room and you are different and you are not welcome there? They don't have to tell you, you just see it on their face. You experience it in their body language. You know you're different and you're not welcome. This is what's happening in this moment. The disciples come back, they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. They were used to Jesus talking to women. They had gotten used to it. They didn't like it, but they were used to it. But they weren't used to Jesus talking to that kind of woman. A Samaritan with a not so great reputation. No one said what they were thinking, but their faces showed it. So the woman takes the hint and she leaves. In her confusion, she leaves behind her water pot. Now this is interesting detail that John captures in the scripture, but I think it's there for an important reason. That's because she's not thirsty anymore. She's gotten a taste of the living water and she completely forgets why she was there in the first place. She goes back into the village and she preaches and shares this message with her people. She says, come and see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. Jesus encountering someone who could not be any more different from him speaks to her respectfully, engages in conversation, asks and listens to her opinions, puts himself in a place of need by asking her for a drink. He focused on her dignity before he focused on her differences. Friends, our brains are neurologically wired up to see differences everywhere we go. It's a part of our human nature. We wanna consciously choose to focus more of our attention on the person in front of us who's created in the image of God that has a uniqueness and a story and a set of wounds that's more important than their opinions or their choices. Can we see the person before we see the stuff? He listened to her intently. This was not Jesus showing up and telling her how to change her life in five easy steps. He really engaged in conversation with her. He trusted her with valuable, the most valuable information. And then he invites her into his story. And what we're not gonna read together this morning, I'm just gonna give you the ending. As she takes that story and she goes and she shares it with her people, they come back to see Jesus for themselves and then they share their testimony that many of them have given their life to Christ because of what she shared and Jesus stays with them for a couple more days. She is a catalyst in the mission of God in the story. And then we see Jesus risks social shame he was not supposed to be there talking to that kind of person. I don't think he cared. He cared about her, about her story, about her experience, about her thoughts and her opinions and her dreams. And he risks social shame. 
And so friends, as we learn together as a community how to enjoy one another's differences, and even how to enjoy one another in spite of those differences, we must begin with an encounter with Jesus. This is what we see in the life of this woman. She begins with her own preferences, excuse me, prejudices, with an encounter with Jesus. You see, I don't know about you, but for me, oftentimes I think, okay, how can I graciously accept and welcome all of the people who are totally different from me, who don't do things the way that I do them, who don't think the way that I think, who don't have the same opinions that I have. It's just so good of me. That's real. But when we flip that and start from a place of humility, the way we see Jesus begin and go, okay, hold up, Carissa. Sometimes you're the one that drives people crazy. Sometimes you're the different one. Sometimes you're the one that people don't understand. You are making mistakes. You have made mistakes. You will make mistakes. I am in need of so much grace. And when I encounter Jesus in that space, it opens me up to give something away from a different place, a place of humility. And so there's a few things we need to let go of. And we see the woman in the story live this out for us as an example. We have to release the need to be right. That's gonna get in the way of me enjoying people that are different from me. That We have this human need in us. I wanna be right. And if I'm not right, then I am wrong. And then that makes me bad. That's where the thinking goes. If we can release that in an encounter with Jesus, we can live this out. I need to release the need to be in control, to make you think the way I think, to make you see things the way I see things, to make you wanna do the things that I wanna do. This isn't easy. I need an encounter with Jesus in order to detach from this need. And then we see this need to be superior. This is the need to be the best. I wanna be the best at everything that I do. And if I see you being better than me at what I do, I don't like it. But if I can encounter Jesus and get my needs met there, I can begin little by little, moment by moment, day by day over the course of my life to let those things go a little bit. And then it frees me up to enjoy the people around me who are different, to stop needing to be right all the time, to stop needing to be in control all the time, Stop needing to be the best all the time, which is all very exhausting. Friends, this isn't easy. This is, my experience is a moment by moment, day by day, dying to myself over and over and over again and getting it wrong more often than I get it right. So as we wrap, just a couple of things that I want us to consider this week. As we attempt to enjoy differences and to enjoy those around us in spite of those differences. Can we ask God for the ability to release those needs, the need to be right, the need to be in control, the need to be superior? We cannot do this on our own. This isn't something that willpower or discipline creates for us. In fact, that kind of makes it worse. There's a surrender here that needs to take place that we see in this woman in the story. Can we choose to see people before we see opinions and perspectives and problems and faults? Can we see people created in the image of God 
with stories that matter, lives that matter, pain that deserves to be heard. And then what if we allowed ourselves to learn something new by opening up ourselves to what they think and how they feel and what their experience is and we asked open-ended questions and we listened. We see this in the dialogue between Jesus and the woman. I think if we do those things, we get to enjoy one another so much more, regardless of how similar or different we are. And so as the worship team comes out, they're gonna close us in a song today. I wanna invite you to reflect on a couple of things. We wanna integrate some of this scripture into our individual lives, into the contexts of our relationships and schools and workplaces. Are you someone today that needs an encounter with Jesus? You would notice that there is a deep need to be right, to be in control, to be superior, and you're holding on tightly to those. And if you could get a sip of that living water, if you could come before Jesus with vulnerability and authenticity, you might be able to loosen your grip a little bit. So maybe during the closing song, you reflect on that. Maybe some of you are here and you would say, Carissa, I have encountered this living water. But there's somebody in my life that I sense God inviting me to enjoy, to enjoy their differences or to enjoy them in spite of their differences. Maybe you ask God during the song for the wisdom and the grace to live that out. 